0: Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, I'm quite certain we have not had a preview show for a game of this magnitude. And yes, we have. Done a playoff game before, but come on. Come on, baby. You know it's a bigger one. We're breaking down the top two teams in the AFC, how they match up, how the Dolphins can win, the critical matchups, keys to victory, intriguing numbers, what's at stake, the prediction, all of that, and so much more from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is the Drive Time Podcast. So the wife and kids went back home for. New Year's Eve, I guess, to celebrate Christmas back with the uh, the family back in the Pacific Northwest. And so after this podcast, I'm going home to an empty house for the first time in like, I don't know, like two years. It's I think it's been a little bit sad to miss them, but also pretty excited to do absolutely nothing all day, every day for a few days. I'm sure the fellow fathers out there could understand how that goes. But let's talk about a big football game here and go ahead and start with the opening Introduction to the Baltimore Ravens. But before we do that, because this could be the last road trip of the season outside of a potential neutral site game at the very end of everything, as Uncle Dan said, we'll get better at golf after the Super Bowl, right? But if you keep winning, that's what it means. And Again, I made sort of a habit of doing this with the weather reports, and since we're on the road and it's not going to be 75 degrees and sunny like it is in South Florida every day this time of year, partly cloudy, 7-mile-an-hour winds, 5% chance of rain, and high of 49 Can't ask for much more than that. If there's one good thing about climate change, it's that it means fewer cold weather games for the Miami Dolphins. Let's go ahead and meet the Baltimore Ravens here. We're going to have Charles Davis in the podcast this week. And spoiler, it has already been recorded. And he talked about big game experience and managing emotions on a week-to-week basis. He even made the great point that this is a business-as-usual game for Baltimore. They've been here. Now, they have had postseason failures recently, especially with that quarterback which wasn't always the case in John Harbaugh's career, they're 1-3 and in their last four playoff games, and they missed the postseason two years ago, which usually doesn't happen for the Baltimore Ravens, and Lamar ended that year with an injury, same thing as last year, but Tyler Huntley won them enough games to make it into the postseason and almost beat the Bengals in that wild card round game, so... It starts at top with the aforementioned John Harba, one of the best coaches in the National Football League, a special teams coach by Trey, but just a great leader of men, a la a Mike Tomlin, a la a Mike McDaniel. Ozzie Newsome was probably the best GM in the league for a decade plus, and then he turns things over to Eric DaCosta and then ends up taking a secondary role, which he wasn't supposed to do, but he does that, and now he and DaCosta are basically friggin' Jobs and Wozniak. I mean, they're incredible. It, it, you... They know what a Baltimore Raven is, and they draft them accordingly. Now, the landscape of their approach changed entirely when they went from El Flaco, El Fluco, who is 47 years old right now, balling for the Cleveland Browns, which is crazy to me. And remember that, you know what? Quick aside. Remember last year when I praised the game that Joe Flacco had in that Week 18, 11 to 6 game? Not because he had a monster game, but because there were like eight plays where Miami had him in the grasp within 1.8 seconds, and the ball would still get out somehow, and sometimes even complete those passes. Why is Joe Flacco still playing well? What the hell's going on with that guy? What did he did he find uh, Tom Brady's like snake oil? I don't know, man. So the landscape of that football team changed when they turned to a rookie Lamar Jackson back in 2018, and they were fluttering that year until he came in, and then I think he went like 6-2 and two down the stretch and took him to the playoffs, and then the next year they had that MVP season 14-2, but that year they moved up to 32nd in the draft. Remember, four quarterbacks were selected ahead of this guy, and I never knew how you watched Louisville tape and thought he was the fifth best quarterback in that class. I was a huge Josh Allen fan, I was also a huge Baker Mayfield fan, but I was also a huge Lamar Jackson fan was not so much Rosen and Darnold. Sometimes you get it right, but what a you know what a class that was for the Ravens in general. They get Hayden Hurst, who the Ravens even thought was worth picking over Lamar Jackson, right? They get Lamar next, Orlando Brown Jr., Mark Andrews, Deshaun Elliott, Zach Sealer, and only Andrews remains on that team, and he's on IR. So that class is Lamar right now for the Ravens, but that's the thing about their drafts they get return value for guys they move on from whether it's comp picks or trading Hollywood Brown for a first round pick in 2019 who was you know later repurposed to the Cardinals for that first round draft pick go to 2020 Patrick Queen J.K. Dobbins Justin Matabuike Devin Duvernay you guys remember him he had a punt return or a rather opening kickoff return for a touchdown in the week two game last year Geno Stone how about the next year in 2021 Rashad Bateman he caught a 75 yard touchdown reception against us o- Odafe Owe. Fantastic pass rusher, Ben Cleveland, Brandon Stevens, 2022, Kyle Hamilton, the best safety in the NFL for my money, Tyler Linderbaum, a surefire lockdown center prospect that is playing like it, Travis Jones, Isaiah Likely, this year, Zay Flowers. I mean, remember the draft exercise we did during the bye week to kind of measure up Chris Greer against the rest of the NFL since he got the GM job back in 2016. The Ravens and the Saints were the only teams higher than the Miami Dolphins on that list. And then they add key veteran parts that fit their program, too, because they know what they want. Kind of like the Miami Dolphins. In fact, keep uh, a lookout for tomorrow's podcast. I'm going to do a fun segment talking about Chris Greer and Durham Smythe and how those two have proven together this year how good of a GM Chris Greer is. Stay tuned for that. But like Calais Campbell, for instance. Like, he's not there anymore, but was there ever a player that screamed Baltimore Raven more than Calais Campbell? Hey, i like to get tackled at quarterback. Like, his big, booming voice, and I just made him sound like he's, you know... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but guys that just look like Baltimore Ravens and talk like Baltimore Ravens. You know, Patrick Ricard, Gus Edwards, Morgan Moses, even his name sounds like a Baltimore Raven. Michael Pierce, who was actually drafted the same year as Ronnie Stanley back in 2016, the two old heads, and then he left and came back. They signed Kevin Zeitler away from rival Cincinnati. The Roquan Smith trade, maybe the most Raven ever since Calais Campbell, at least. You get the idea. It's a college-style powerhouse that replaces and replenishes its own roster every couple of years to dominate the NFL. It's it's crazy. Key cogs, replace the other parts, well-coached, aggressive, adaptive to the modern game. There's a reason that nobody else in the NFL has as many wins as the Baltimore Ravens. They are a phenomenal, phenomenal football team. How about the storylines for this one? Because they are a plenty. Had to kind of narrow them down here, but I start with this one because I'm... So intrigued by this and I asked Charles Davis about this and you'll find that on the Friday podcast with Charles Davis the week 17 variety show is both of these football teams coming off the biggest win of the year for them right because the the Ravens and I kind of get intrigued by the the clapback they're doing to Mike Florio and other members of the media as if to say like this was the game we geared up for this was a like kind of a Super Bowl matchup for us and we're gonna bring our best and prove you all wrong. Can you match that juice the following week? I tend to think you can't. Like, it's very difficult to do. Now, this time of year is a little bit different, but I think that human nature just dictates that you you don't always have that same level of motor. Quick aside, Travis's sports career, high school basketball in Eastern Washington, 4A, where it's basically uh, kids that look like me, (laughs) you know, not the best basketball players. But my senior year, we were playing our rival high school, Crosstown, Kennewick High School, and... We, we needed to beat them because we were like a middling team trying to get into the playoffs. We, we knew that going in. We weren't like the best team in the league. But we had to beat Kennewick because it was a matchup that we just needed to get a dub on our schedule. And I remember being so charged up. Like, our first play of the game, first play of the season, I ran this, you know, I, I got into the offense. I was the point guard, got the dish off to someone for a three-pointer, cash it, and I was like, woo whoa woo whoa, like fire let's play some defense, boys. I was fired up. Now, we lost the game by a few points, but the very next night, we traveled to Eisenhower High School and had nowhere near the same energy and after like a four-point loss lost by like 27 so I just think it's human nature that you can't possibly match that energy for consecutive weeks for the Miami Dolphins they're coming off a huge win as well so who can find the closest replicated energy that they provided in the Dallas game and come out and punch their team in the mouth and have more effort and just play harder and better and I think the team that does that will find a way to win for the Ravens This is a real thing, man. Short week with a long night's travel on Monday night. The game ended. I I was tracking this. I was hoping that Sam Darnold could lead back the Niners and tie the game up and make it an overtime game because the game was already getting late, but obviously more snaps played impacts the the next game, next week's effort. Like last year when the Dolphins had 84 snaps on defense against Buffalo and then had to go to Cincinnati for a short week, like – there's a reason that in the fourth quarter the Bengals just wore us out in that game and we couldn't get a whole lot done because they had no they had no gas left, no juice left. For the Ravens, they played against the Niners and a tough, you know, physical team, and they played 68 snaps on defense and they flew across the country, and that game ended right before midnight. So they're probably not getting on the plane until about two A.M. They probably didn't get off the plane in Baltimore until like eight A.M. By that point, Mike McDaniels already had five hours of game prep and film watching here in the building. So a short week. That's, that's, a, that's a tall ask, man. It's a tall ask to turn around that fast. Uh, other key storylines, the Ravens off a game against the offense that most closely resembles ours, right? I find this so fascinating. They just faced a Shanahan offense, right? The Shanahan offense. Well, this week, there's another one. And of course, McDaniels not the exact same offense, but 17 years together, a little bit rubs off. Is it a benefit to Miami? Is it a benefit to Baltimore? I'm going to ask Charles Davis that question on Friday. Next storyline, the winner is in the driver's seat for the 1C, but also the unanimous best team in football, which doesn't matter. Power rankings, who cares? And also real quick, hey, Colin Cowherd eats because you guys retweet him. Don't give him the time of day. And I get the aggregators in our industry, the guys in the beat that want to get the tweets off and they show all the videos and all the leaks and all the stuff. I get it. There's money to be made in that progress, but can we just let him die? Like, he's he, he's doing this on purpose, guys. Just leave it alone. He's a jack wagon. Like, he's not, he's not someone you concern yourself with. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Who cares about power rankings? But the winner of this game will emerge as the favorites for the Super Bowl, right? And that's That's kind of cool, I guess. I don't know. But more importantly, the Ravens are already clinched a top two seed, barring a Cleveland miracle. So I guess I shouldn't say clinched already. But unofficially, if they lose both their games and Cleveland wins both their games, then the North goes to the Browns. But I don't think it's going to happen. So uh, Baltimore's not losing to Pittsburgh in Week 18, and Cleveland, I don't think, will win both their games either. So either way. But we, on the other hand, could slide as far as the sixth seed if we lose out. But a win in this game or next week means no lower than the two seed, and that means you're not going on the road until at least championship weekend, maybe even the Super Bowl at best. Uh, Then finally, the reunions here. So Lamar, not quite a South Florida native, but he was a Palm Beach guy, or Pompano Beach, right? Uh, The closest team to him in the National Football League. Zach and Deshaun were both draft picks of the Ravens. George Godsey's the tight end coach there. And Vic Fangio was a linebacker coach in 2009. So that's your storylines and introduction to a very, very good Ravens team. Let's go ahead and spin it forward now to the tape, and let's go ahead and get down to the matchup tables here before our first break. So for the Ravens, a key key injury that we'll be tracking all week long in fact I don't have the injury report for Wednesday just yet I would have to imagine he did not practice but I don't have that information at my disposal just yet Kyle Hamilton 91% snaps Marcus Williams the other safety plays 50% and Geno Stone plays 81% so Stone is supposed to be the third safety and he is right now but since Williams missed some time he filled in and when Hamilton went down against the Niners he filled in in that role as well so three safeties all can play their corners Really, if they get into their depth here, it's a struggle. But gosh, they're good up top. Marlon Humphrey is the top perimeter guy, but he's only played half the snaps this year because he missed so much time. But Brandon Stevens has turned into a very good like lockdown number two, maybe even number one cornerback, plays a very physical brand of football. Zone turn, good job out of the break. Uh, And then their interior guy is either Ronald Darby, who's played a little bit, but also Arthur Mallette, who's kind of a – more of a fit, I would say, in that position. But either way, one of those guys will get slot reps. If anybody goes down, it kind of throws the whole rotation into a bit of a into a kind of a mess almost because they don't have the additional bodies there. But up front the depth is V V good. So Justin Matabuike, 67% snap taker, all he leads all defensive tackles and sacks this season. And he plays alongside Michael Pierce, who is the biggest man in the National Football League. He's a 350-pound beast. Uh, Broderick jo- or rather Broderick Washington plays 34% of the snaps. And then Travis Jones, a, a UConn grad who is quick as all get-out, 37% of the snaps up front off the edge. It, it kind of reminds me of the Flores teams down here, like Ogba Builds. Uh, Odafe always played 39%. He's missed some time this season. But Jadavion is having maybe the best year of his entire career. Another guy that just looks like a freaking Raven, right? But they're so big and so long. And then Kyle Van Noy, duh, like 41% of the snaps. And then Brent Urbans played 22%. And then off-ball linebacker, Roquan Smith, 98%. Patrick Queen, 98%. This defense is loaded, guys. We have our hands full. It's a big-time matchup. Physicality against speed. But Miami also has their own physicality. Kyle Hamilton... It's worth noting that if he misses the game, like they're, he's their top slot guy, he plays 480 snaps in the slot. He's their top blitzing defensive back. Nobody else comes close to his blitz production. He's a center field rangy safety who can pick off Brock Purdy in the end zone. Like he does everything so well. If he misses the game, it's a huge, huge loss for them. Patrick Queen was in and out of the game on Monday with a shoulder injury, and I thought he was going to be toast for a while, but it sounds like he's going to be just fine. And then the guys they already have out are David Ajabo and our Darius Washington, a rusher and a defensive back for the Ravens. Their personnel usage, let's go ahead and do some numbers here before we get into the actual nitty-gritty of the tape for the Baltimore Ravens. So they run their 3-4 16% of the time, and they run their nickel package 82% of the time, and there's some uh, heavy personnel and there's some diamond there, but that is a, what is that, 98% there for right? No. Yeah, 98% usage there. Nickel and 3-4. They blitz just 23% of the time. That's 22nd in the National Football League, primarily on third downs. They'll often bring a defensive back, Kyle Hamilton, Arthur Millett, and drop a rusher back into the hook. Like, you have to be aware of your fronts and your coverage and how they marry and how they could possibly switch aspects of who rushes and who drops back. But their pressure rate is 20%, which is actually just 23rd. So really, in terms of volume, the pressures are not that great. However, 54 sacks leads the National Football League two more than your Miami Dolphins. When they get pressure, it typically impacts the game. So between 54 sacks and 26 takeaways, both league leading, you have to prevent this defense from making their splash plays. 16.3 points allowed per points allowed per game, that's also tops. And for posterity, 36% allowed on third down is fifth best. It's the best defense in the NFL, guys. Miami might have a case for that as well, but Baltimore right now is the top defense. Let's go ahead and get to know them on the tape on the other side of our first break here. That's next Draft Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Picking it back up, previewing Dolphins and Ravens, the biggest game on the National Football League schedule this season in terms of what it might mean for playoff seeding. Let's go ahead and get more into this Ravens defense. So it's a great unit. How do they do it? Well, Mike McDonald is, quite frankly, nothing short of a defensive genius, and he's been helping the Harbaugh's for quite some time now. He was an intern with the Ravens back in 2014 before getting promoted to defensive assistant, then position coach, then he jumps positions before leaving to Michigan to run Jim's defense for a year. But then one year later, right back to John, to run his defense and replace Wink Martindale, and he's changing up. It's not blitz heavy. It's not you know the same attack, attack, attack approach of Wink Martindale, and it's been a lot better. Uh, and what you get is an ever-evolving picture. You never get the same coverage twice in a row. You get different blitzers coming from the same package on different types of snaps. Let's put it this way. Tua has his work cut out for him, one of the smartest, most intellectual approaches of the game at quarterback, and Tua is going to have to really prove that he's strong in that area. That's why, spoiler, one of the keys here is going to be to just prevent the Ravens' defense from making splash plays. If you can do that, you will at least be in this game at the end of the fourth quarter because teams average starting field position against the Ravens is their own 27.1 yard line that's fifth lowest but see here's where you really get the impact of the defense their offense has the best average starting field position in the National Football League by more than a full yard 32.5 yard line average start position the gap between them and the second place team in that regard is the same as the gap between second place and 12th place so they dominate The field position battle, they're always good on special teams, but the sacks and the takeaways, they get the hidden yardage that puts the offense in advantageous situations, backs you up on defense. But also, Miami does the same thing too. 52 sacks, their help. Our average starting field position is fifth at the 30.3-yard line. I want to take a look at two games of the Ravens, the 49ers and the Rams games, the two offenses that most closely resemble what the Dolphins do from a structure and philosophy standpoint. So first, I was curious to look at zone versus man because the way the Ravens can play with physicality all across the defensive line with huge defensive tackles, long and strong edges, they meet you where you are. I thought Dallas did some of that especially against our jet sweep action and our toss game and reverse game, end around all that stuff. And we have to be so much better in this one than we were in that one because these guys are even better. And they will knock – I mean, that's how we lost several drives in this game was losing yardage on those wide runs. They'll penetrate, they'll lock out, they'll shed, they'll funnel you back inside, and they'll rally back to tackle. It's impressive team football with very strong gap discipline and, again, just sheer – overwhelming power plus in our win over Dallas there were more gap man calls than we've been getting and it worked especially on that final drive we went 14 zone runs eight gap runs per pro football focus which also checks out on the film and also was our highest usage of gap running this year in our entire season now the 49ers didn't do that they're the most prominent zone football team in football and they went 11 zone runs and three gap runs The Rams, however, and this is something that Sean McVay has pivoted to this year, 14 gap runs and four zone runs. The Rams in that game also played the most condensed offense of any offense in a game this year. What does that mean? Everything is jammed in close to the offensive line. Nasty splits, extra gaps, probably allows you to help get more bodies on those edges and just control things a little more in terms of not getting one gapped and beaten with the combination of power slash get off like a Jadavian Clowney is capable of, or Odafe Owe, or inside with Michael Pierce's massive build, or Travis Jones, and oh, by the way, the most productive pass-rushing defensive tackle in football this year in Justin Matabuike. This group is rugged, they're explosive, they're big. I think you could possibly see a lot of 12 personnel, maybe even some 13. Maybe you activate Tyler Croft. Maybe you put Alec Ingold in line, because you're going to have to find a way to help the tackles even more than you already do, because this group... Let's just talk about him. So, size wise, Pierce, 355, the truest, best nose tackle in the National Football League, bar none to me. Uh, Travis Jones, 338. And by the way, a 9.4 Rass, a 90th percentile and 40 yard dash at that size, also in the three cone. And his weight also is in the 90th percentile as well. Broderick Washington, 315. He's a three technique and a five technique, basically a Sealer esque kind of guy. Speaking of Sealer, was there, besides Calais Campbell and Roquan Smith, was there ever a better Raven than Zach Sealer? How did he get out of the building? That was a mistake. I'm sure glad he shook free and got to us. Justin is 305, but oh yeah, a 48340 at that size. That's 98th percentile. He's also in the 90th percentile in the 20 and 10-yard split. So the get-off is absurd. Then off the edge, Clowney, 266 pounds. Owe, 257 pounds. And Brent Urban's 309. Like, my, my God, man. Remember Shaq Lawson back in 2020 in training camp? You got some heavy-ass hands, bro. Talking to Emmanuel Ogba. That's all these guys. Heavy-handed Dudes up and down the lineup. I think the other part that lends itself to that idea of running more gap and man gap man gap scheme, (laughs) your interior line is right now built better for it. Liam is nowhere near the athlete Connor Williams is, but he's strong. Rob Jones is a he's a good road grader, maybe not as effective in space. And Lester Cotton is more lost in space than George Clooney than that terrible movie from like 10 years ago. But at least he's big and can push people around, right? So I think that where this matchup really is won is is there. How can we execute on early downs, both with the run and the pass? Can we mitigate the way the defensive line wants to play and match their physicality? I think you can. Hopefully, Austin Jackson's back because he's a push-your-wig-back kind of type of guy. That's his game. He has an edge. So does Liam Eikenberg. Rob and Lester are bigger dudes. And Teron, I just think he beats whoever he sees across from him. Let's go ahead and talk about the numbers here because they are staggering. For the Ravens, pressures and stops. Clowney. <laughs> 66 and 22. He's having a career year. Matt Abrique, 61 and 35. What? What? 61 pressures at defensive tackle? Owe has 47 and 12. So he's kind of a, a rush exclusive player. Kyle Van Noy has 43 and 18. Remember him? Great player. Pierce, 29 and 20. He has 29 pressures at that size. And Travis Jones is 20 and 18. Raheem Mostert has to be at his best because in that Rams game, Kyron Williams broke 11 tackles and produced 89 yards after initial contact, just grinded them out and stayed in manageable third down situations where Stafford then hit big third down throw after big third down throw with anticipation, largely to Puka Nakua, where he's getting pressure and just kind of lost this thing out there, just like the ball that Tua threw a Tyreek on that critical third and eight against the Cowboys. You're going to have to get some of that here because the pass rush will get home. I think there's something to that game where they were able to chip away and really hold the attention of the linebackers because guess what? When you get past that massive defensive line we talked about, they have arguably the best off-ball linebacker duo that hangs out before them. I would take Greenlaw and Fred Warner. These guys would be second to me. Smith has 13 pressures on 91 pass rush attempts. They don't blitz him very often, but also has 47 stops. Queen has 24 pressures on 104 attempts. Okay, cool, 25% pressure rate, that's like elite. That's your blitzing linebacker, by the way, number six. He also has 41 stops. They have a first down run stopping success rate of 72.2. That is why they have so many sacks and so many takeaways because teams are always in third and long. It's the best in the NFL and how they get you into those long third downs. Speaking of that, third downs, 75.7 passer rating, 20 sacks, seven touchdowns to five picks, 57% completion, 6.0 yards per attempt. A lot of that funnels through those two backers, man. They can get their depth and coverage. They can win with speed to the perimeter. They can match up with size and power down in the trash. Just watch that Niners game. They tighten all those windows. And we've seen what happens when offenses, this offense's timing is impacted. There are misses that just go awry. So I can imagine, or I imagine they can create some of those misses, but if we're sharp and we're on our stuff, we can compete. We can hit some big plays. The Niners had their big plays when they were sharp early on. It's a big time to a game, man. How he influences those guys, how quickly he sees things. We'll get into the schematics here shortly. Let's go ahead and finish up with the personnel and their defensive backs. Now, I don't know if he's going to be able to go, but gosh, Kyle Hamilton, this guy changes the game. He changes the picture post-snap. You cannot be late with him in the equation. Watch the Purdy interception the first in the first quarter he might be the best safety in football right now. His instincts, his range, like Ed reads the comp, man. He and Marcus Williams make up the best ball hawking safeties in football and their combined range with how Hamilton sees things, it allows them to be so exotic and make the quarterback hitch that one extra time. And that's all the pass rush needs. Now, if Hamilton is down, how much more vanilla does the scheme become? Because I kind of think it's like us with with Jalen Ramsey being out. And I, I just mean in terms of switching, bumping, rotating. Like, if you have less of that, if guys are more ingrained and we're going to stay right here, we're able to get our motions and dictate the matchups and play on time, then we won't be stopped. So that could be a big absence. But also, maybe Geno Stone steps in and has it down pat and they're still doing the exact same stuff. He has experience, but I just think there's a, a Different level of play you get with Kyle Hamilton. He's the best safety in football for my money. I would take him right now over anybody else. They also really only blitz him when they do send a defensive back. He has 37 pass rush reps. The next most is Arthur Mallette with 14. So, and Gino Stone has 11. So out of the 834 snaps that he's played, he replaced Marcus Williams earlier this year. So, like, I mean, you're going to... Change the way you play the game if they don't have Kyle Hamilton. Speaking of defensive backs, Brandon Stevens has developed into a true lockdown corner. He and Marlon Humphrey together make that system kind of go, akin to how I think Ramsey and X do it here. Like the rest of the defense, they're, they're smart, they're long, they're physical, they find the football. And Stevens has such a good feel for the concepts with the requisite feel and twitch to see it ahead of time and go get it. I think his ability to anticipate what our receivers are going to do is a big key in this game because our guys are so good at holding their route and kind of making it a mystery where the break is going to come from. And Tyreek is such a good route runner that I don't think he really gives up his tell at all. And he can play off of their outside leverage, which kind of funnels routes to the inside and those cover three, cover one looks. And I can think he can find those pockets inside. I think that's how Miami can really get their chunks and move the football. Hopefully we have Waddle. Sounds a little more promising than I thought it would at this point in the week, but we'll see with him. And quite frankly, the two drives that we had against Dallas at the end of the half is what I think you could see here, where the ball is out now. Inside access to Durham, to Sed, to Braxton, to Riv, if he's up, and hit enough of those, run the ball well enough, and start softening up those intermediate lanes that we love. And man, this is such a good matchup, like all across the board. To me, this is two of the top three teams in the NFL, and the styles they play – make it such appointment viewing. Like It reminds me of those legendary Colts and Patriots matchups in a lot of ways. They run man coverage 30% and zone 70%, but get a load of this. Against man coverage, 11 touchdowns and one pick, 15 sacks, but also just 5.3 yards per pass. Against zone, teams have four touchdowns, 15 picks, 39 sacks, but more yards per pass at 6.0. So kind of interesting splits there. Sorry to get repetitive. It's another top tandem in the league. The cornerbacks. There's a reason this is a top defense in the NFL. They can both move to Stevens, 9.2 uh, relative athletic score. Humphrey, 8.9. Their numbers. So Stevens has 700 coverage snaps and 700 yards allowed. That's a phenomenal year. Two touchdowns, two picks. For Humphrey, 363 and 224 yards. Like, damn. One touchdown, one pick. So Hamilton's absence also changes their structure because they love to roll into single high and let him come down and match up in the slot. He leads the team with 403 snaps inside. Next is their top slot corner, Arthur Millett. He's allowed 340 yards on 244 coverage snaps. And there, my friends, is your sombrero. If there's one place to go, it's after him. And I'd say Stone if Hamilton misses. This is maybe the most important non-quarterback in the game. Hamilton is besides Tyreek and he could be out. Their coverage structure and this is where the variety we talked about occurs. Cover one 22 percent. Cover three 22 percent. Those are the two coverages that Dallas runs primarily against us. That in Tampa too. So it gives you some of those inside access throws. They run quarters 21 so percent. That's a, a variation and it always changes so it's tough to decipher but also cover six 15 percent. All those coverages marry off of each other and they mix it so well. They go 07% of the time, which actually is fifth most, but I doubt they would do it against Miami because you'd have to be stupid to do it against Miami. So there you go. That's Dolphins offense versus Ravens defense. Let's go ahead and take our last break right there. Come back on the other side and do the Ravens offense versus the Dolphins defense. Drive time podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by Auto Nation. Well, I definitely did not expect to come away from the tape more impressed by the Ravens offense than I was their defense, simply because of how good their defense is. But yeah, that's where we are. My God, what a football team. So Lamar Jackson's the quarterback, the receiver, Zay Flowers – plays 86 percent and then a big drop off Rashad Bateman 53 Odell Beckham 44 both those guys get banged up both those guys leave the field Zay Flowers is their number one since Mark Andrews got injured left and replacing Andrews is a really good tight end and Isaiah Likely who plays 44 percent runs a lot of his routes from the slot in the on the uh, inline attachment their key slot receiver is Nelson Aguilar who plays half the snaps and then tight end two is uh What's his first name? Kolar. I forgot his first name. The tight end that plays 16% of the snaps alongside likely. He's tight end three because Mark Andrews is hurt. On the interior, it's John Simpson, Tyler Linderbaum, and Kevin Zeitler off the edge. Interesting combination here because Ronnie Stanley was once the best left tackle in football and has had a lot of injuries that have kind of robbed that from him. And then Morgan Moses is another big kind of plodding right tackle. But they've used Patrick McCari to shuffle in at left tackle, but he got hurt in the last game. So interesting decision there. And then Daniel Falele is a 400-pound right tackle who comes in as an extra offensive lineman sometimes. So Mark Andrews, J.K. Dobbins, Keaton Mitchell, and Devin Duvernay all on IR, key parts of that offense and special teams and a lot of the explosive plays the offense had came out of those guys, but they still have more guys behind that. As far as personnel, one of the lowest 11 personnel groupings in the National Football League, just 47% of the time. That means often just two receivers on the field, hence the splits we just heard about. 12 personnel is 13%. percent you think it'd be higher, but here's why it's not. Because 20 personnel, two backs, no tight ends, is 10%, but 21 personnel with two Backs and one tight end, which is often Patrick Ricard and Isaiah Likely, is 24%. That by far leads the National Football League. 22 personnel, two tight ends, two backs is 4%. Well, it's going to be a challenge, guys, because we know how Lamar runs with the football, right? Scrambles, zone read, RPO, quarterback power, like everything's on the table with this damn guy and early in his career it was keep him in the pocket force him to stand and scan and even though that was tough if you got like bad Lamar he was still able to kill you with his legs or a couple of explosive plays on broken plays in the passing game but guess what he has improved his willingness to stay in there he's scrambling to throw more he's improved the touch and layering throws in that second level and this Dolphins defense has probably been the best in the NFL since Jalen Ramsey came back top three minimum But this is the test. This is the game that you built this dominant defense for Vic Fangio for, for games like this. So the other element they have is that when Lamar breaks the pocket, now he has playmakers on the perimeter to break off and make explosive plays. And it's not even exclusive to the off-schedule stuff. They can dial up these slow-developing routes because Lamar can buy time inside the pocket by showing that short area mobility. Like the game I watched, one of the games I watched the Lions – Have mercy, what a smackdown that was. And Lamar was consistently getting to the backside of what I assume are three and four reads in his progressions because the Lions could not get any pressure on him, and then it would go out the gate with Zay Flowers or Odell Beckham or Isaiah Likely. You catch a slight break that Keaton Mitchell's down because he's an explosive element of the offense. He's out. But, man, this roster, like ours, it's good. It's deep everywhere because Justice Hill can play. Gus Edwards has some, as my man Seth Levin would say, some ish to him. I was trying to find games against similar systems for Lamar, and there's only one game against a Fangio descendant this year. Is that the right word? Fangio disciple? is at the Chargers back in Week 13, who's now been fired, actually, in Brandon Saley, but Lamar was 18 for 32 for 177 and a touchdown pass and an 82.4 passer rating, his lowest of the season. That's not very good. The thing the Chargers did so well was threefold and not dissimilar from their game plan against us last year. Lots of two-man, Pressed to negate the timing of the offense. They defended the run and contained Lamar pretty successfully. Didn't hit the big plays in the passing game off script. And if you limit it to just running plays for big plays, then you have a chance. It's when he does both that you're dead in the water. And I think Lamar was just a bit off, which happens for every quarterback sometimes. So I'm not sure it's a replicatable plan. I'm not sure there is a great plan for this guy because like Vic always says, you have to defend the play they called and the scramble stuff a second play after it all breaks down. Hopefully and I'm optimistic here because he looked good at practice, that we see Javon Holland this week. He was back out there getting some good work in. He and Deshaun Elliott's range and physicality and coverage and their discipline and their communication and the way they play together, I think makes a huge difference. If you get Javon back and Kyle Hamilton's down, that's like maybe a touchdown swing. Like I'm not even joking about that, if you can get it. but Plus, I always think back to that third down open field tackle Javon had in Buffalo last December on Josh Allen. I like the speed of those guys. And then with Duke and David in the middle, we have the speed to compete there as well. And as much as I love their playmakers, I always like our guys when we can match up with 5, 25, and 4 at the cornerback position. But nobody else, please. And we've seen this defense is really about not traveling. It's not you don't match up specifically. You can get into that within the game, but by and large, it's about the scheme and it, the way it functions together. I like the way that CK uh, at Chris or at CK Parrott on Twitter said, "Do you want to make your game plan for CD Lamb or for Dak Prescott?" It's a pretty obvious answer there. I think Fangio has proven for oh, I don't know, two decades he's got a pretty good grasp on limiting elite quarterbacks. And we heard from Coach McDaniel on Monday, he said the beauty of this scheme is that the offense often has little idea what's coming before the ball is snapped. I think that's your only hope of hemming down Lamar's production. You have to give him a post-snap picture that confuses him. You need to get into a second and third hitch. You need the best gap discipline you've had all year, and you have to finish your tackles. With Flowers, sharp route runner, can eat up one-on-ones, can really hit the gas to run away from you. Beckham, still one of the top route runners in the entire National Football League. All of it, to me, says you can't really play man because of that and his threat of the run, but we play lots of zone anyway, so maybe it works out. With Isaiah Likely, I mean, they lose Mark Andrews, and there's almost no drop-off there because this guy's big, physical, has long speed, he's shifty, he can run through you, like he makes you miss in space. He's a great player. And then Rashad Bateman, he's okay. We saw him go for 75 yards on the slant last year against us. Like I said, huge test, but if anyone's up for it, it's this Dolphins defense. Before we get into the matchups down in the trenches, some numbers here, the coverages the Ravens have seen the most of. 23% cover one, only five teams have seen more. That's more hats in the box. That's the running game coverage. Cover three, 38%, only seven teams have seen more. That's a deep defense. Take away the deep shot mold or type of defense cover two six percent nobody sees less and then 13 percent quarters and seven percent cover six these two coverage we play a lot of that could be your fashion here i'm just i cannot wait to see what it looks like maybe a lot of cover one with javon holland roaming down the box we'll see some more numbers here so that deep cover three look uh 20 plus yard air throws this year not their game 16 for 56 terrible 548 yards four touchdowns two picks just a 76 passer rating Now, where he eats is extending plays and finding guys on horizontal runs after the catch. He's in that 10 to 19-yard range. He's 72%, 68 for 94, 1,073 yards and nine touchdowns to no picks and a passer rating of 140, best in the National Football League, which is kind of crazy because teams are playing those cover one cover three looks where against your cover one you invite the deep shots and against cover three well that's a defense you want to run the football on right so interesting splits there and to cap it off uh Aguilar and likely their top two guys inside Andrews was that guy 80% but they're down to 74% Aguilar 55% likely but he runs 40% of his routes inside on the on the uh attached Y. so it's kind of that slot as well but man 11.5 yards after the catch on average as a team the best run-after-catch team in football, their pass-block efficiency scores. Stanley and Moses are 94.5 and 96.6 on the perimeter. Inside, nobody's lower than 98. In fact, Simpson and Zeitler, the two guards, are both 98 flat, and Linderbaum is 98.4. I think this number is indicative of the team's strength on the interior of the offensive line. That's where they're best. But also, when you have a quarterback like Lamar, you kind of squeeze it, and you keep, keep those gaps tighter because – if you went off the edge and sacrifice your help off the edge, those are easier rushers to make miss, and he does it so well. So the thing from Miami I love here is that Chubb and Gink are both a great combination of of fast and big enough to run through things, but also they have such good eyes that really help them key the quarterback and not get overextended beyond the quarterback, not to mention – I laud Wilkins and Sealer for the way they keep their eyes on the quarterback for the last five years now while playing through their blocks. And quite frankly, if you can give it to Dallas and the way Zach Sealer whipped the crap out of Tyler Smith, one of the best guards in football, and the way that Zach Martin, a future Hall of Famer, got his ass handed to him by Christian Wilkins, even though he was getting through some things there, if you can do that to those guys, you can definitely do it to these guys. But you have to earn a chance to do that. And how do you do that? Well, you guys know the drill you have to stop the run, which is obviously a challenge when the quarterback can pull it out and take it around the end himself for 75 yards. David Long and Duke Riley have played awesome together. You need that again here. The Ravens are tops in the NFL running the football versus light boxes, so they're going to try that, but those guys' ability to beat blocks and make plays will go a long way towards winning. When it's Justice Hill, you probably get more outside stuff, screen game, more speed, and with Gus Edwards, wants to get north and south and be that hammer. What a fun matchup. We've been waiting a long time to play games like these, and quite frankly, I think this is a primer for a rematch in January, hopefully down here this time. But what's at stake in this game? Probably the last time you need this segment, and truthfully, probably don't even need it here. But with with a win, the lowest you can finish in the AFC is second place. That's the old first-round first buy range. Remember, kids, a few years ago, you got a first-round buy for getting second place in the conference. But even then, a win keeps you in position to get that buy if you can beat Buffalo or a Ravens loss in Week 18, but they ain't losing to the Steelers. We, did, we just agreed upon that, right? A loss makes Week 18 the difference between the two-seed and the six-seed. Most likely, Buffalo, who could lose to New England, and Cleveland could lose to both the Jets and the Bengals to give us the five. But yeah, that's basically what it comes down to. I think if you win this game, you come out on the other side as Super Bowl favorites. Doesn't matter, but it is a hat and t-shirt game. It's a game where you can guarantee that the next time you leave South Florida would be the championship round minimum. My keys to victory, you probably know them by now, win when the Ravens go off script on offense, the best running quarterback in the league, the best yak average as a team, pretty simple there. Key number two, prevent the Ravens' splash plays on defense. Simple again, 54 sacks, 26 takeaways. You cannot let them do that to you. San Francisco was in the game until their INT barrage began. And then number three, win on early downs offensively. And you can prevent number two by being sharp here at number three. Run the ball successfully, get those chunk plays that we had against Dallas that kind of started those drives. Very tough duo of off-ball linebackers. Influence them and that strong front of the Ravens win on your early downs my areas of concern their physicality inside but also their ability to win off the edge on defense their linebackers range going forward and backwards lamar Jackson's scramble and off script ability more concerns than usual right zay flowers on broken plays areas to exploit if hamilton's out their slot and cover structure is not the same run them out of those heavy base fronts by getting the ball in the perimeter and then lamar in the pocket if he has an off game it does happen that's an area to exploit as well And my prediction, I'm very stuck here because I think these are the second and third best teams in football. I'm still sticking with the Niners as my top team because what do we not do here? We don't trash our process because of one result because we're smarter than that, right? Do you guys remember the Eagles preview podcast? I said we'd win if Connor Williams played and he did not. So I changed it to a loss. Bummer. But I'm gonna go in the exact same direction here with the Ravens safety, Kyle Hamilton. With Kyle Hamilton, I'm going 23-20 Baltimore, Without him, I'm going Dolphins 27, Baltimore 23. That's your podcast tomorrow. The great Daniel Oyafusi, the Baltimore native, will be on the show talking about this game on Friday. Charles Davis, plenty to come your way here on the Drive Time Podcast in a fun week of shows, getting ready for the biggest game the franchise has played in a very very long time in the meantime you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify wherever you get your podcast from go ahead and leave us a rating leave us a review you can follow me on social at wingfield nfl follow the team at miami dolphins check out the fish tank with my guy seth and juice check out the youtube channel for media availabilities and dolphins today and last but not least miamidolphins.com until next time fins up Caroline and cameron daddy's coming home to an empty house tonight